when you think of stage magic, uh, you probably you might think of Copperfield doing an illusion on stage where he disappears. Mentalism goes into something that is more an action that your mind makes. This is Little America, a show about the immigrant experience, one story at a time. I am your host, Kamal Nanjiani. question, do you know what mentalism is? For those of you who don't, mentalism is in the same family as magic. In fact, your average magician probably dabbles in mentalism. It's like when someone can tell you the numbers on the credit card in your wallet or conjure the names of your loved ones or even predict the words you're about to say. It's more about understanding the human psyche than it is making an elephant disappear. Today's story is about a mentalist who grew up in Vietnam named Ava Du. And for Ava, well, (laughs) when you have a set of talents like this, you have to decide how you want to use it. For good, for evil, or maybe for playing a trick on our reporter, Albert Samaha, that absolutely blew his mind. Enjoy. So in a minute, uh, I'm going to ask you to look inside the bag, but not yet. The bag is on the table in front of me. It's a small brown paper bag, rolled clothes at the top. Our producer put it there before I arrived in the recording studio. Ava and I are on a Zoom video call. She's in D.C., I'm in New York, and she's going to show me a trick. But what could she possibly do when we are hundreds of miles apart, connected by nothing more than Wi-Fi and a computer screen? Something that might look like mind reading, it might look like you're being led to a choice that isn't entirely your own, or that your attention is being guided to something that is beyond your control. In other words, mentalism. But I've got my guard up. I mean, I'm a pretty perceptive dude. I'm a journalist who makes a living observing people and identifying truth. How could we move forward with a story about an expert magician if I'm able to spot the trick right out the gate? Ava doesn't seem to share that concern. She calmly begins to perform her trick on me, asking me to pick a number. Just make it anywhere from one to a hundred. Okay, let's say uh, 77. 77. Is there any reason why you pick that number? I don't know. It just flashed in my mind and I didn't want to think too hard about it. Because I know you're already inside my head. So if I think too hard, I feel like I'm going to play right right into the trick. So I'm just going pure instinct. Then she pulls up what appears to be a list and shows it to me on camera. So do you remember when the pandemic first started and everyone rushed to the grocery store and bought lots of stuff like toilet paper and spaghetti and who knows what else? I bought a lot of rice and ramen. It's a numbered list of 100 grocery items. I see a bunch of random products, each beside a corresponding number, one line after the next. Okay. What are some of the the items on the list? We got milk. We got rice. We got sugar, spaghetti, toilet paper, lemonade. What did you say your number was again? 77. What is next to 77? Does that say dried apricots? It does. Can you look inside the bag? Ava points to the bag in front of me. I slowly open it. It's pretty right. Ra- no way. No way. I don't believe it. 
There's toilet paper in here, probably. Or some yeah, flour. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Hold on a sec. Hold on. I need a break. I need a pause. I need a pause real quick. The story of how Ava Doe somehow knew I would pick the number for dried apricots begins long before our meeting, long before she became a professional mentalist, even long before she arrived in America. Trace back the origins of her superpowers, and you'll end up in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam in the early 1980s. I grew up under communist rule, but however, with anti-communist parents. So, you know, I went to school and my, I was taught propaganda and then I would go home and my parents would tell me that all of that is false. And that, that dichotomy, that multiple perspectives on the same set of facts was really interesting to me. It was tricky as a kid, you know, because you're like, wait, it's, you know, who's lying? It couldn't be her parents. She trusted them instinctively, but she also thought her teachers were good people, and she sensed that they, too, believed what they were saying. From that conflict sprouted the seeds that would grow into Ava's worldview, that the most powerful tool of deception lies in our own minds. It was possible that neither of them was telling a lie, but that they were both individually and independently telling different stories to themselves about the same reality. Ava's family lived on the outskirts of the city. Her parents were merchants with a fabric shop in town. They were politically minded, and dinnertime conversations often veered toward the war with the U.S., which had ended around the time she was born. Her parents did more than just talk about politics. They also lived it. She said her father helped smuggle people onto boats headed out of the country. What he used to do was he paid off a communist police officer for the uniform. And he would dress in the uniform. And if he get caught, he would stay behind. And it, it did a whole impersonation routine so that he could save the people he was smuggling. And I think that's, that's why, you know, I became so fascinated with deception as a double-edged sword because... I could see how it was used for good, and I could see how it was used for bad. Deception was a foundation for propaganda, but it was also a survival tactic in a country where the wrong political beliefs could get you imprisoned. Ava learned that wielding the power of deception, applying it, spotting it, manipulating it, required you to get inside the minds of others, reading people, observing them, patiently probing interactions, searching for any sign that somebody was a like-minded comrade or enemy threat. What could I say and what could I not say? You get really good at revealing information like an onion. You don't give all of the onion all at once. And you wait and see. You gauge the information that you get back to identify who your allies are and uh, whether or not it was appropriate for you to give more information. Her family didn't plan to stay in Vietnam for long after the war ended. From her earliest years, she remembered her parents telling her about a place where they would not have to keep so many deadly secrets, a place where their hard work would yield more opportunities than what lay before them in their homeland. I think what I remember most was that America didn't have any smells. 
There was no smell of food. There wasn't any smell of traffic. There was just no smell. Ava was 13 when her parents got their U.S. visas. More than a decade after applying, they first landed in Seattle the day before Halloween. After Ava's earlier brushes with deception, maybe it's appropriate that her first experience interacting with Americans was from beneath the costume. I had a lot of cousins who told me that here's the phrase you say: knock on someone's door, say this phrase, they'll give you free candy. At first, I thought it was a trick. Like they would write my name down and put me on a list, and then come collect money for my parents. You know, do your police keep a list of who's visiting you guys? I was really afraid of getting free candy, but sure enough, they just gave out free candy <laughs> without you know owing anything. A land of abundance, just as she'd heard. Yet for all America's power and riches, Eva found it surprising to learn that, like her old country. Her new one still felt the need to wash over the shameful facts of its history. If there was one thing her communist curriculum and her capitalist parents agreed on, it was that the U.S. had lost the war in Vietnam. But the way that it was told in American history books, it was you know we stopped engaging in the conflict. I knew that everyone just saw what they wanted to see. That it was all probably true. Maybe there was some details they embellish, but that all of it was probably true and and also false at the same time. I was skeptical about the way the Americans saw the war. A story that America had told itself. Her family eventually moved to Southern California, and the more she learned about America from firsthand experience, the more she realized that the mythology she heard growing up didn't match the realities on the ground. Even here. In the place she considered a promised land, deceptions filled the air. Foremost was the realization that the country had not overcome its racist roots. This all became clear when she was in middle school, trying to fit in. It was a nightmare. I had a crush on on this boy in seventh grade. A white kid. We'll call him D. And uh, I sent him a candy gram. Remember those? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he found out it was from me. He took his whole. Crew of friends over to where I was sitting in school to tell us that he did not like me because I was an FOB, a fresh off the boat, and Damn. I yeah I know it was public embarrassment. But D didn't know who he was messing with. Ava, a teenage prodigy of human observation, would not be an outsider for long. Just as she had studied people to determine who were her anti-communist allies as a younger child, she inhaled the etiquettes, accents, and language quirks swirling through her hallways and classrooms. I learned to mimic. I wanted to be around English speakers all the time. Though she knew almost no English when she arrived as a seventh grader, by the time she was in ninth grade, she had made it into honors English. Not only that, when her teacher assigned higher achievers to partner with lower achievers to help them keep up. Ava was among those chosen to serve as a mentor. Her mentee, our boy D. Now you're teaching him English. <laughs> I, I kind of was, yes. <laughs> Here was a chance to hit D with a counterpunch of humiliation, a vengeful reminder that the kid he dismissed as fresh off the boat now spoke his native language better than he did. But she let the moment pass. With her first taste of her powers in action, she chose to do no harm. I want you guys to meet my friend. He's a thief.
Ava is in a nightclub in Las Vegas when she hears those words. She's in her early 20s now. Spurred by her interest in human nature, she's become a psychologist with a job in Los Angeles counseling survivors of sexual violence. And maybe she keeps on that path for the rest of her professional days if she doesn't end up at this bachelorette party, in this nightclub, on this night, with her soon-to-be-married friend who has an enormous engagement ring. It was a pretty sizable rock. Then a man approaches, and he says those words, I want you guys to meet my friend. He's a thief. Ava remembers thinking this was a weird thing to say about somebody, but maybe it was just a pickup line, a flashy way to grab attention from a group of women. The thief greets them with polite handshakes. The interaction starts off as ordinary as can be. So then he walked in and he said hello, and I think he said, I can't remember him saying more than two sentences before he revealed to us that he had her ring which was just amazing. I was just, I, I think I was shocked because how did he steal it without her knowing? And, you know, it's pretty tight on her finger. I had never seen this kind of performance <laughs> art before where, you know, you steal and then you give it back. The thief was Apollo Robbins, a renowned sleight of hand artist with the skills of a master pickpocket. Ava and Apollo hit it off. They exchanged numbers and got to know each other over long phone calls. We would talk for nine, ten hours about psychology and about, you know, random things that two people who are dating would talk to each other about. I asked him a lot about what he does and how does one learn to pickpocket. He opened her eyes to a craft that fascinated her. She came to see how similarly they viewed the world, with a shared curiosity about the human mind and the conditions that shape our perceptions of reality. As they grew close, she fell in love with him and with magic. What you see is that he's able to steal stuff from people without them knowing, even if they knew he was going to do it. What you don't know is that in order to do that, he's also really good at guiding your attention, knowing where what you are paying attention to and using his body language and his movement and all of it as a, as a psychological dance. She hadn't thought much about this kind of magic before, but looking back, she realized that it had been all around her even as a child. She remembered her dad wearing a communist uniform to guide attention away from his illegal activities and seeing mediums in her village performing elaborate rituals that led audiences to believe they were communicating with lost loved ones. They seemed to channel you know, the dead, and they would give information that was personal, that couldn't have been known by anyone else, which was basically a mentalism performance. Dating Apollo meant she was also spending time with his magician friends. She was part of dinner party conversations about tactics. She attended their performances. As she learned more about their craft, she saw how closely it related to her own expertise, even as it couldn't seem more different from her day job counseling sexual assault survivors. The moment she decided to try magic for herself came while she watched a mentalist perform on television. He had audience members play Russian roulette and had to guide them on whether or not to pull the trigger. Somehow he always knew which chamber held the bullet, and nobody died. When the mentalist declared that his trick was entirely psychological, that statement grabbed Ava's attention. Because I studied psychobio, I said, that's not possible. 
uh, and all of that cannot be explained by psychological tool sets. So what else are you using? So I started tracking down other mentalists and tracking down the literature and the, the study behind it. She learned tricks from magic books, adjusted them to her own taste, and then started practicing when she wasn't working her day job. Her first magic performance was a single trick at the end of a poetry reading. Guessing what someone's credit card was. Also, the numbers on it. Good magician as she is, she wouldn't tell me how she pulled this off, but recounted the thrill she felt seeing the looks of amazement across the audience. The same look I had on my face when I opened the apricot bag. A look that says, how the hell did you get inside my head? We call it the ta-da moment. That's the ta-da moment. I, I saw that there was a very clear change of people's attitude, and I wanted that all the time. I wanted to have that kind of intimacy, that vulnerability between me and an audience. But didn't she already have a job? There's a lot of boundaries around clinical psychology for good reason. Magic offered Ava something clinical psychology couldn't. More freedom to explore the reach of her powers, without the rules of medical ethics limiting her, for better or worse. I could field test some of the theories that I had more quicker. I didn't have to wait. There was freedom to experiment, and financial freedom too. When Ava realized she could quit her counseling job and still pay the bills as a mentalist, she took the plunge. At first she performed with Apollo in a two-person show, but they soon found that they had different magic styles that would work better separately. Performing on her own, she learned certain nuances about her American audiences. She didn't look like the white male magicians most of her crowds were used to. She saw the look of surprise on their faces when she stepped on stage to reveal that she was, in fact, a woman. After shows, she sensed that people seemed to assume that her special ability stemmed from her roots in Southeast Asia, an exotic mysticism bestowed on her by mysterious creatures in distant jungles, rather than a set of tools she had spent years honing. If that's the story that they wanted to believe, I could do very little to convince them otherwise. Because when I, even when I told them, even when I told these people that it wasn't supernatural, they would go, but you're intuitive at it. It was a gift. <laughs> ah. You know, I, I think that's the other thing that I've learned doing this craft is our perception is geared to collect information that fits our story. And anything else, we just discard. Ava wanted to collect information well beyond her current limits and well beyond Southern California. So she and Apollo hit the road, meeting with pickpockets, con artists, and fortune tellers around the world to learn how they practice their crafts. There was also the kind of psychic fraud uh, methodology that I wanted to know from the Roma community. You know, how do you convince people that you're reading their mind, that you know about their life? How do you convey the information in such a way that you seem psychic? The answer was attentiveness, observing a person so closely that you can sense their expectations, desires, and doubts, guiding their focus in one direction while spinning up the trick outside their peripheral perceptions. There's this really good quote, and it goes something like, learning to see is learning to unsee. 
because your mind, in order for you to look at a scene, your mind is filtering out so much. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to process that information, right? And in the process of discarding or filtering out a lot of the details, there is the blind spot. There is where I work in mentalism. In addition to live performances, Ava found gigs hosting workshops for companies trying to train their employees to understand the human mind and consulting for television shows. She helped design the illusions on a show for National Geographic and consulted on another about con men for Amazon Prime. But the thing about mentalism is that it's not just a job. You can't just turn off superpower when you clock out for the day. If I stopped doing magic and mentalism, I would not know how to interact with people. Which means mentalism can really come in handy during daily interactions. Take this fairly typical exchange Ava told me about. I was shopping and I wanted to get this pair of vintage heels and it wasn't priced yet. Uh, it was in the store in Georgetown here. It wasn't priced yet. The owners had just dropped them off. And I framed it, right? I said, these Manolos are probably from the 90s. And um, I got a pair last week for $350. But they were they had never been used. And these look like they've probably been worn. She guided the salesperson's focus like she would with an audience, injecting an idea aimed at shaping their sense of reality. She ended up getting a deal on the shoes. Ava has known all her life that deception can be good, a survival tactic that can protect loved ones and preserve relationships. It even led her to meeting the man she would eventually marry. But she has seen deception used for ill, too, a manipulation tactic aimed at advancing the interests of those who wield it. Scoring discounts on shoes is one thing. Why stop there? Without the filters that keep most of us from knowing when people are lying to us, Ava can see through small talk and defense mechanisms, absorbing information she could use however she wants. She doesn't always know what to do with that power. I probably have lost one or two friends with that, you know? It's this kind of skill, it comes at a cost too, and no one ever talks about that. It can make you not present in listening for what friendship needs. I had a friend who was going through relationship problems and she started to have infidelity with someone else. And she didn't tell me, but I knew it. This was a close friend she'd known for years. And over that time, they'd had more intimate and heavy discussions than she could count. From her friend's tone and expressions, Ava can sense when she was lying about how she'd spent her day or when she was deflecting from certain topics or offering sparse details to probing questions. These nearly imperceptible ticks set off sirens in Ava's head. She felt hurt that her friend was holding back from her, guilty about her complicity in the deception, and unsure what to do with the knowledge she had picked up. I picked up her phone calls less because I didn't want to. I had a hard time reconciling with the fact that some of our interaction was dishonest. And so, so I just ignored it. And finally, she, she said, I just can't talk to you anymore. It's, I don't know what it is you think I'm doing, but I just can't talk to you anymore. And I couldn't come out with saying that I, I know you're doing this. 
and and we we lost touch. During her world travels meeting with con artists and pickpockets, there was a central question she was hoping to find answers to. How do they do this for so long? The, the psychological toll of deceiving people must get to you, right? And I discovered that, in fact, no one goes to bed thinking that they're a bad person or that they're a thief. We all have these different stories that we focus on, that we zoom in. And I remember sitting down at lunch with a three-card Monty operator. And I asked him, I said, so do you ever talk to the pickpockets around here? And he said, no, I, I don't talk to them. He said, oh, you think I'm like that? I'm not like them. Like, I don't, I don't put my hand in people's pockets. They steal money from people. People come to me. They play my game. They make the decision to put money down and play my game. And that's the story that he told himself. And that's the story he went to bed with. What story does Ava tell about herself? It's a narrative she's still reckoning with. We live in a time when the attention economy is as crowded and lucrative as ever. Ava sees it firsthand. The way our minds have become increasingly tied to the screens and devices strategically designed to lure us in. Over her 15 years performing magic, the biggest change she's seen in audiences is visible in their faces. She gestured toward her cell phone. Their mind is in here. My job is to gauge where your attention is, right? And so many times now, I'll be interacting with someone and their mind has gone to, I just had a notification. What was that? And it's so much more work for me. I have to repeat a lot of things as barometer to make sure, are you still with me? Did you forget about that part? Did your mind just go into your phone for a little while? It's almost like they went internal for a second. You know, it's, they're still looking at me. It's not really a blank stare, but it's, it's this unchanging eye contact where I've just noticed that you are actually not, your expression hasn't changed due to the information I've given you because you, you're focused on your phone, but you know to keep your eyes gaze on me. Have there been any points in our interview where you've seen that in my face? Yeah. How many times would you say? Uh, so maybe 15, 20 times. In an age where the competition for our minds is ruled by capitalist enterprises fishing for our interest and loyalty, Ava's superpower carries all the more value. With infinite information, entertainment, and answers at our fingertips, she supplies one of our last remaining bastions of wonder and awe. She can show us things we've never seen before, unfurl experiences that fill us with mystery, bend the very laws of our universe before our eyes. She can incept ideas into our heads. It's up to her to decide what those ideas will be. And being on the other end of her trick, I saw firsthand how invisible her influence could be. The thing that, and you probably get this a lot from audiences, it's like, obviously this is like, it, it's like, it's fun, right? Like that was amazing. I definitely feel wonder as well as many emotions, <laughs> surprise, shock, confusion, and there's also like a small, small part of me that feels like a little bit like violated. You know what I mean? 
vulnerable. Vulnerable. A lot of magicians used to say that magic was one of the first technology I can use language to frame your choices, to to shape your attention and shape your reality, which is the reason why I asked, why did you pick 77? Why did I pick 77? Was it an arbitrary instinct, as I had assumed? As I pondered that question, Ava stared back at me from the computer screen, her chin resting on her thumb and index finger. You can see that I have my finger on my face like this, and it does, doesn't it make an upside-down seven? Holy shit. It did make an upside-down seven. Was it really that simple? That's terrifying to me because that makes me wonder how many like corporations and brands and politicians are just manipulating my brain with upside down sevens without me (laughs) knowing. Ava is still figuring out how to best use her powers. Magic is not just deception, but a form of storytelling. And she continues to craft the story she wants to tell the world. At its heart, It is a story about the fallacy of stories, the persistence of myths, the foundation of lies upholding so much of our collective experiences and assumptions. That America won the war, that the people we celebrate in our history books were unqualified heroes and champions of equality and justice, that this country is a welcoming place for outsiders. She has big ambitions for how to apply her magic, but what ideas to incept? what realities to create. She isn't sure yet. People become vulnerable after they experience magic. Um, whether, Whether they believe that it was a puzzle for them to solve or whether they want to linger in the mystery. Either camp, they're still really vulnerable and they're still really primed for learning in that moment. If we could use magic so that when we feel vulnerable and when we're primed for learning, it's when we start to reshape some of the stories that we have been telling ourselves. My dream from here on out is for the experience of magic to be coupled with the experience of learning and unlearning and being able to question all of the things that we we thought was true. After years of conjuring false realities, exposing the illusions around us would be Ava's greatest trick yet. Little America is an Apple TV Plus podcast from Epic, produced in conjunction with the Vox Media Podcast Network. This story was reported by Albert Samaha. Our editor is Jolie Myers. Our engineer is Adrian Lilly. Brandon McFarlane composed the show's theme song. Emma Gross is our senior producer. Zach Mack is our showrunner. Nishad Kurwa and Josh Behrman are the executive producers. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts and watch Little America on Apple TV Plus where available. Season 2 of Little America premieres on Apple TV Plus on December 9th.